here we go guys with lesson number two hope everybody's well as we're sorting through teaching and remotes and all the the newness of this year so I think we need to just reflect on something right now that would be pretty amazing do you realize that if the Goo Goo Dolls, the band, got together with Lady Gaga and they went on a tour, that tour could be called Goo Goo Gaga. I know. I know. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> All right. So in the last lesson, we thought about the approach uh, to reason and faith and how those relate to each other. In this lesson, I want to think about the approaches people have to figuring out the truth. How do people see the truth? And, you know, that just kind of made me think of something a little famous here. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Okay, that was a little intense, but it's true that when people think about this topic, it is actually tough for some people. It's tough for them to, to handle the truth, and hopefully what I share with you guys today will actually be something that will be not only encouraging for you guys, but something helpful for maybe conversations we, you have with with people around you. So I was thinking a little bit about how people see the truth. And it, it actually made me think about the uh, visit I had to the optometrist the other day. And I was uh, informed of a new option that I had for contacts. Apparently, guys, wait till you hear this. This is so amazing. Some of you know what I'm going to say. But apparently, you're able to, to wear contacts where one eye sees distance and another eye sees up close for reading. It's called monovision. And so my eye doctor gave me some contacts. One eye seeing distance, one eye seeing up, up close. And he says like 50% of people can, can handle it and it, their brain adjusts. And guys, it's working. It's just changing my world. It's amazing. So super excited about it, but it just made me think, you know, there's different ways to even wear contacts to be able to see things. And uh, in the same way, it's like there's different ways that people want to get at trying to see the truth. And sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not helpful. And um, I got another thought that I was thinking about. So there's this kid that actually invented something called lay glue. L-E and the word glue. Lay glue. And it was this little kid who invented this glue that you can put on Legos and it will actually stick the Legos together, but if you put it in water, it just dissolves. Genius. The kid ends up on Shark Tank and he got a deal with Kevin O'Leary. Totally amazing. Check it out. It's on YouTube. 
So kudos to him. But that's that's maybe an image that I want you guys to have as you think about how do people bring the Lego blocks of their beliefs together in a way that fits and the Lego blocks of origin and meaning and and morality and destiny that they would actually fit together and hold even if you dunked it in water. So there's a couple approaches or a couple types of lay glue that I want to bring up with you guys. Uh, here are the ways these days that people are attempting to sort sort out what is true. So what's what's the approach they're taking to truth? And that's what I want to talk about with you guys. It actually made me think of a passage in John 18 when Jesus is before Pilate. And, and Pilate says to him in verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Do you say this yourself or, or others say this about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests, they delivered you to me. So what have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. and I wouldn't be delivered up to the Jews, but my kingdom's not from here. So Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this reason I've been born, and for this reason I've come into the world, that I should testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, they're hearing me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? So let's look at three ways people think about truth. Pilate had his version. Of course, Jesus is making the claim. Then we believe him that he is the truth. So the, the first uh, way that people view truth is is called complete relativism. Complete relativism. And somebody who would take this approach to truth would see that everyone's truth is equally valid. In other words, what somebody believes about God, religion, morality, whatever it is. And even if it's completely different from what another person would believe, a, a Christian who believes that there is one God, uh, who is the, the God of, of all, he's the God most high, and the atheist who believes that there is no God, for a complete relativist, that person would say both claims are equal and valid. Both claims are equal and valid. So this, this kind of approach to truth has actually been debunked by philosophers for a long time. There's a clear problem with this view. Now, before I say that, here, here's what's tough about complete relativism. It seems like a highly enlightened approach. 
it seems like it's very open to others, uh, open-minded, it's sensitive to others, it's very politically correct, right? So in our society, being a complete relativist sounds very noble. The problem with it is it is completely lacking any logic at all. So all one must do for someone who believes in complete relativism, if they say that all truth is equal and valid, in other words, that there's no one universal truth, just think about this. The problem is that statement itself is a universal truth. Let me read real quick from William Lane Craig. Uh, he says this, It seems to me that radical pluralism is also self-refuting. We need only ask ourselves, is radical pluralism, or in other words, complete relativism, objectively true? It claims that there's no objective truth out in the world. But that statement purports itself to be an objective truth about the world. It says, each individual constitutes reality. So that there is no objective reality, but that is itself a statement of objective reality. It states that the proposition, truth is pluralistic, is objectively true, which is self-refuting. In other words, if your head's spinning a little bit there, relativism is the belief that truth is not absolute, and it varies from culture to culture and person to person. But the problem is, that claim is maintaining that relativism is true for all cultures and all people. So, what initially sounds like it's enlightened and virtuous is actually utterly nonsensical. Now, of course, we want to be careful with how we say this with people, but nonetheless, it seems to me that this approach is not helpful whatsoever. And so, I think that one we can just scratch off the board. I would actually uh, encourage you to check out uh, a picture. There's a, a really interesting picture of a lady. And if you look uh, from one perspective, you can see a young lady who is looking off in the distance. But if you look at this cartoon image from a different perspective, it actually looks like a, an elderly woman. Uh, from a more side view. So it's really interesting to give the illustration that this approach to truth being relative to the individual's perspective uh, is it's an inter interesting illustration where one would say both are equal and valid. Is it the old lady I'm seeing? Uh, or is it the young woman who's turning away to the side? So check it out maybe online. Um, I'm sure you can find the image of it. There's also actually another interesting image 
of a train that uh, you can actually make move in one direction and you can make it move in another direction. So search for that on YouTube. It's, uh, it's actually a little trippy, but it carries the point across, I think, pretty well of this illustration of complete relativism. So, all right, so there's one. One down, two to go. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? We kind of dove into the deep philosophical waters there with that one. So here's number two. Number two's approach to truth is called strong rationality. Strong rationality. And the idea here is this. One will say, basically, I'll believe it when I see it. This approach says, you should only believe something is true if it can be proven that it's true. You should only believe that something's true if it can be proven that it is true. Now, there's a few things to think about with this one. One, initially, is with strong rationality, that statement itself actually can't be proven. Think about this. Can you actually prove that the only thing that you should believe in is that which has been proven? I mean, obviously, we can't do that. So it seems to me that this person uh, is requiring a lot of maybe the Christian worldview and not enough of their own worldview. I actually had a, a senior just recently who graduated, and the senior said to me, I think I'm guilty of doing just that. I think I've been holding to the strong rationality approach, and I don't think I'm being fair. It was a super cool conversation I had with a student who was really humbled by this observation. Another thing to think about with strong rationality is, think about it, it's really hard to talk about when something has really been proven. Philosophers wrestle with when is something really proven? Uh, for example, like yesterday, how can we 100% actually prove that yesterday happened? <laughs> and I know that sounds ridiculous, and of course we all believe yesterday happened, but nonetheless, let's recognize we can't prove it. We could have started to exist 10 seconds ago with pre-wired memories that never even happened. Again, that's ridiculous. Of course yesterday happened. Uh, but we have to recognize that the idea of proof in a philosophical way is actually really difficult. There's a lot of disagreement as to when something actually has been proven. And I know that might sound a little weird, but it's just serving the point that that strong rationality is holding to things that they don't hold for themselves. It's an inconsistent position. So there's actually a, a famous quote, possibly by the cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, who, when he went up into space, claimed, I see no God up here. And so if I don't see it, I don't believe it. 
and it seems like that position has some problems to it. So what are we left with? We're left with a third approach. It's called critical rationality. And the basic idea here is this, that we can't prove anything, even foundational beliefs. For example, like if God exists, and I know that probably sounds really weird, but I don't know how really anyone could do that. What we can do is we can look at evidence to determine what seems to make the most sense. This is what's called the critical rational approach. And um, it seems like it just starts with us believing certain things and then we start with certain core beliefs like I am here and then it moves from there. Let me give you a quick little video from Dr. Craig, William Lane Craig, on this idea of properly basic beliefs. Are you ready? Here we go. Philosophers call beliefs like this properly basic beliefs. They aren't based on other beliefs. Rather, they're part of the foundation of a person's system of beliefs. Other properly basic beliefs would include belief in the existence of the external world, uh, the reality of the past, the presence of other minds besides your own. When you think about it, none of those beliefs can be proved. How can you prove, for example, that the world was not created five minutes ago with built-in appearances of age, memory traces in our brains from events that we never experienced, food in our stomachs from the dinners we never really ate? How can you prove that you're not a brain in a vat or a body lying in the matrix wired up with electrodes and tubes uh, by some mad scientist who makes you believe that you're here in this arena listening to this lecture? How can you prove that that person sitting next to you really has a mind rather than being a soulless android who just exhibits the external behavior of someone with an interior life? None of these things can really be proved. These are just properly basic beliefs which we have. Now, in saying that these beliefs are basic, that does not mean that they are arbitrary. Rather, they are grounded in the sense that they're formed in the context of having certain experiences of the world. In the experiential context of seeing and hearing and feeling certain things, I naturally form the belief that there is an external world of objects which I'm sensing. So my basic beliefs are not arbitrary. They're grounded in experience. There might not be any way to prove such beliefs, but it's perfectly rational to hold them. In fact, you'd have to be crazy to think that the world was created five minutes ago. You'd be mad if you really thought you were a brain in a vat. Such beliefs are therefore not merely basic. They're properly basic. Now, so, <laughs> so here's basic, the basic idea. We start with certain things that we just assume are true, like the earth exists, we exist, yesterday happened. But from there, from those core, properly basic beliefs, we start to look at the world around us. We start to look at the evidence, the evidence of the universe itself, of people, of the way they act, 
and it leads us to begin evaluating and thinking through what makes the most sense of these things. And then from there, we come to a conclusion. It's a faith-based position. It can't be proven, but it isn't unreasonable. We've thought through why it would make most sense to believe what it is that we believe. And so this is what's called critical rationality. And it seems to be the approach uh, by a lot of philosophers today that is held in highest regard. This is the best we can do. We can look at the evidence and think through what makes the most sense. Now, of course, uh, we know that that's, it's not all up to us. You know, I think about in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says that the person who has the Holy Spirit has access to a truth that they're able to think about and absorb and be transformed by. And so praise God that it's not just up to us. It's not just a human exercise uh, of intellect. Uh, this is also a spiritual encounter with the living God. But in terms of thinking through truth, we looked at these three approaches today. The approach of complete relativism, strong rationality, and critical rationality. And it seems like critical rationality is going to be the way to go here. We're going to do our best looking through the evidence to see what most makes sense. Uh, forgive me if I've said this before, but a great quote from C.S. Lewis, I think, summarizes it. Lewis said in his, in his work, um, The Weight of Glory, I believe in Christ like I believe in the Son, not because I can see it, but rather by it I can see everything else. guys with lesson number two. Hope everybody's well as we're sorting through teaching and remotes and all the the newness of this year. So I think we need to just reflect on something right now that would be pretty amazing. Do you realize that if the Goo Goo Dolls, the band, got together with Lady Gaga and they went on a tour, that tour could be called Goo Goo Gaga. I know. I know. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> All right. So in the last lesson, we thought about the approach uh, to reason and faith and how those relate to each other. In this lesson, I want to think about the approaches people have 
to figuring out the truth. How do people see the truth? And, you know, that just kind of made me think of something a little famous here. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Okay, that was a little intense, but... It's true that when people think about this topic, it is actually tough for some people. It's tough for them to, to handle the truth. And hopefully what I share with you guys today will actually be something that will be not only encouraging for you guys, but something helpful for maybe conversations we, you have with, with people around you. So I was thinking a little bit about how people see the truth. And it, it actually made me think about the uh, visit I had to the optometrist the other day. And I was uh, informed of a new option that I had for contacts. Apparently, guys, wait till you hear this. This is so amazing. Some of you know what I'm going to say. But apparently, you're able to, to wear contacts where one eye sees distance and another eye sees up close for reading. It's called monovision. And so my eye doctor gave me some contacts. One eye seeing distance, one eye seeing up, up close. And he says like 50% of people can, can handle it and it, their brain adjusts. And guys, it's working. It's just changing my world. It's amazing. So super excited about it, but it just made me think, you know, there's different ways to even wear contacts to be able to see things. And uh, in the same way, it's like there's different ways that people want to get at trying to see the truth. And sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not helpful. And um, I got another thought that I was thinking about. So there's this kid that actually invented something called lay glue. L-E and the word glue. Lay glue. And it was this little kid who invented this glue that you can put on Legos and it will actually stick the Legos together, but if you put it in water, it just dissolves. Genius. The kid ends up on Shark Tank and he got a deal with Kevin O'Leary. Totally amazing. Check it out. It's on YouTube. So kudos to him. But that's that's maybe an image that I want you guys to have as you think about how do people bring the Lego blocks of their beliefs together in a way that fits and the Lego blocks of origin and meaning and, and morality and destiny that they would actually fit together and hold even if you dunked it in water. So there's a couple approaches or a couple types of lay glue that I want to bring up with you guys. Uh, here are the ways these days that people are attempting to sort, sort out what is true. So what's, what's the approach they're taking to truth? And that's what I want to talk about with you guys. It actually made me think of a passage in John 18 when Jesus is before Pilate. And, and Pilate says to him in verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus said, do you say this yourself or, or others say this about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests, they delivered you to me. So what have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. and I wouldn't be delivered up to the Jews, but my kingdom's not from here. So Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this reason I've been born, and for this reason I've come into the world, that I should testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, they're hearing me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? So let's look at three ways people think about truth. Pilate had his version. Of course, Jesus is making the claim, and we believe him, that he is the truth. So the, the first uh, way that people view truth is is called complete relativism. Complete relativism. And somebody who would take this approach to truth would see that everyone's truth is equally valid. In other words, what somebody believes about God, religion, morality, whatever it is. And even if it's completely different from what another person would believe, a, a Christian who believes that there is one God, uh, who is the, the God of, of all, he's the God most high, and the atheist who believes that there is no God. For a complete relativist, that person would say both claims are equal and valid. Both claims are equal and valid. So this, this kind of approach to truth has actually been debunked by philosophers for a long time. There's a clear problem with this view. Now, before I say that, here, here's what's tough about complete relativism. It seems like a highly enlightened approach. It seems like it's very open to others, uh, open-minded, it's sensitive to others, it's very politically correct, right? So in our society, being a complete relativist sounds very noble. The problem with it is it is completely lacking any logic at all. So all one must do for someone who believes in complete relativism, if they say that all truth is equal and valid, in other words, that there's no one universal truth, just think about this. The problem is that statement itself is a universal truth. Let me read real quick from William Lane Craig. Uh, he says this, It seems to me that radical pluralism is also self-refuting. We need only ask ourselves, 
Is radical pluralism, or in other words, complete relativism, objectively true? It claims that there's no objective truth out in the world, but that statement purports itself to be an objective truth about the world. It says, each individual constitutes reality, so that there is no objective reality, but that is itself a statement of objective reality. It states that the proposition, truth is pluralistic, is objectively true, which is self-refuting. In other words, if your head's spinning a little bit there, relativism is the belief that truth is not absolute, and it varies from culture to culture and person to person, but the problem is that claim is maintaining that relativism is true for all cultures and all people. So what initially sounds like it's enlightened and virtuous is actually utterly nonsensical. Now, of course, we want to be careful with how we say this with people, but nonetheless, it seems to me that this approach is not helpful whatsoever. And so I think that one we can just scratch off the board. I would actually uh, encourage you to check out uh, a picture. There's a, a really interesting picture of a lady. And if you look uh, from one perspective, you can see a young lady who is looking off in the distance. But if you look at this cartoon image from a different perspective, it actually looks like a, an elderly woman uh, from a more side view. So it's really interesting to give the illustration that this approach to truth being relative to the individual's perspective uh, is it's an inter interesting illustration where one would say both are equal and valid. Is it the old lady I'm seeing uh, or is it the young woman who's turning away to the side? So check it out maybe online. Um, I'm sure you can find the image of it. There's also actually another interesting image of a train that uh, you can actually make move in one direction and you can make it move in another direction. So search for that on YouTube. It's, uh, it's actually a little trippy, but it carries the point across, I think, pretty well of this illustration of complete relativism. So, all right, so there's one. One down, two to go. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? We kind of dove into the deep philosophical waters there with that one. So here's number two. Number two's approach to truth is called strong rationality. Strong rationality. And the idea here is this. One will say, basically, I'll believe it when I see it. This approach says, you should only believe something is true if it can be proven that it's true. You should only believe that something's true if it can be proven that it is true.
Now, there's a few things to think about with this one. One, initially, is with strong rationality, that statement itself actually can't be proven. Think about this. Can you actually prove that the only thing that you should believe in is that which has been proven? I mean, obviously, we can't do that. So it seems to me that this person uh, is requiring a lot of maybe the Christian worldview and not enough of their own worldview. I actually had a, a senior just recently who graduated, and the senior said to me, I think I'm guilty of doing just that. I think I've been holding to the strong rationality approach, and I don't think I'm being fair. It was a super cool conversation I had with a student who was really humbled by this observation. Another thing to think about with strong rationality is, think about it, it's really hard to talk about when something has really been proven. Philosophers wrestle with when is something really proven. Uh, for example, like yesterday, how can we 100% actually prove that yesterday happened? <laughs> and I know that sounds ridiculous, and of course we all believe yesterday happened. But nonetheless, let's recognize we can't prove it. We could have started to exist 10 seconds ago with pre-wired memories that never even happened. Again, that's ridiculous. Of course yesterday happened. Uh, but we have to recognize that the idea of proof in a philosophical way is actually really difficult. There's a lot of disagreement as to when something actually has been proven. And I know that might sound a little weird, but it's just serving the point that the strong rationality is holding to things that they don't hold for themselves. It's an inconsistent position. So there's actually a, a famous quote, possibly by the cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, who, when he went up into space, claimed, I see no God up here. And so if I don't see it, I don't believe it. And it seems like that position has some problems to it. So what are we left with? We're left with a third approach. It's called critical rationality. And the basic idea here is this, that we can't prove anything, even foundational beliefs. For example, like if God exists, and I know that probably sounds really weird, but I don't know how really anyone could do that. What we can do is we can look at evidence to determine what seems to make the most sense. This is what's called the critical rational approach. And um, it seems like it just starts with us believing certain things, and then we start with certain core beliefs, like I am here, and then it moves from there. Let me give you a quick little video from Dr. Craig, William Lane Craig, on this idea of properly 
basic beliefs. Are you ready? Here we go. Philosophers call beliefs like this properly basic beliefs. They aren't based on other beliefs. Rather, they're part of the foundation of a person's system of beliefs. Other properly basic beliefs would include belief in the existence of the external world, uh, the reality of the past, the presence of other minds besides your own. When you think about it, none of those beliefs can be proved. How can you prove, for example, that the world was not created five minutes ago with built-in appearances of age, memory traces in our brains from events that we never experienced, food in our stomachs from the dinners we never really ate? How can you prove that you're not a brain in a vat or a body lying in the matrix wired up with electrodes and tubes uh, by some mad scientist who makes you believe that you're here in this arena listening to this lecture? How can you prove that that person sitting next to you really has a mind rather than being a soulless android who just exhibits the external behavior of someone with an interior life? None of these things can really be proved. These are just properly basic beliefs which we have. Now, in saying that these beliefs are basic, that does not mean that they are arbitrary. Rather, they are grounded in the sense that they're formed in the context of having certain experiences of the world, in the experiential context of seeing and hearing and feeling certain things. I naturally form the belief that there is an external world of objects which I'm sensing. So my basic beliefs are not arbitrary. They're grounded in experience. There might not be any way to prove such beliefs, but it's perfectly rational to hold them. In fact, you'd have to be crazy to think that the world was created five minutes ago. You'd be mad if you really thought you were a brain in a vat. Such beliefs are therefore not merely basic. They're properly basic. Now, so, <laughs> so here's basic, the basic idea. We start with certain things that we just assume are true, like the earth exists, we exist, yesterday happened. But from there, from those core, properly basic beliefs, we start to look at the world around us. We start to look at the evidence, the evidence of the universe itself, of people, of the way they act. And it leads us to begin evaluating and thinking through what makes the most sense of these things. And then from there, we come to a conclusion. It's a faith-based position. It can't be proven, but it isn't unreasonable. We've thought through why it would make most sense to believe what it is that we believe. And so this is what's called critical rationality. And it seems to be the approach uh, by a lot of philosophers today that is held in highest regard. This is the best we can do. We can look at the evidence and think through what makes the most sense. Now, of course, uh, we know that that's, it's not all up to us. You know, I think about in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says that the person who has the Holy Spirit has access to a truth 
that they're able to think about and absorb and be transformed by. And so praise God that it's not just up to us. It's not just a human exercise uh, of intellect. Uh, this is also a spiritual encounter with the living God. But in terms of thinking through truth, we looked at these three approaches today. The approach of complete relativism, strong rationality, and critical rationality. And it seems like critical rationality is going to be the way to go here. We're going to do our best looking through the evidence to see what most makes sense. Uh, forgive me if I've said this before, but a great quote from C.S. Lewis, I think, summarizes it. Lewis said in his, in his work, um, The Weight of Glory, I believe in Christ like I believe in the Son, not because I can see it, but rather by it I can see everything else. and running. How about it? First podcast slash audio lesson that we're going to do here. I'm super stoked actually that ACSI is going to let us do this. So as, uh, as nice as it is to have you guys in class and to hang out together, uh, this sure is going to be a convenient way to get our our Bible credit for for the year. So, worldview discussions is what we're going to call this course, and you guys are going to get two Bible CEUs for this bad boy, which is awesome. And this is actually in large part due to Matt Nyberg and his genius. So I called him up and said, "Hey, Matt, I'm concerned that I might not be able to." to do this ACSI class, and, and he suggested, why not try to do it as a podcast? And so I called ACSI, and they said, sure, no problem. So, man, maybe you're on your way to work this morning, and you are listening to this. Uh, so, But it, it provides a lot of freedom for you guys, which is awesome, and for myself as well. So, of course, the bummer with all this is I can't interact with you guys and I'm not really thrilled about that much at all so I thought as we go through these lessons uh, and this will be for this semester and next semester as we go through these uh, as you guys have questions go ahead and and post on the stream for this class on Google Classroom a, a comment that you might have uh, and maybe it's about the the joke that I think I'm going to start every one of these podcasts with. Uh, either that, or uh, maybe you have a question about something that I said in the lesson, and you'd like to get not just my opinion on it, but maybe your fellow colleagues as well 
have them chime in. So I think that would be a cool way for us to connect and interact a little bit together because some of you guys, of course, are on the other campus and I don't see you. So, well, let me pray and we'll we'll jump into things. A quick quick shout out to Lori Granite though. So here's here's a joke that I came across because of Lori Granite and I think social media and my wife saw something that Lori posted. So here you go. I caught my son chewing on electrical cords. So I had to ground him. He's doing better currently and now conducting himself properly. That's so good. That's just fantastic. Well done, Lori, in posting that. I appreciate that. So let me pray real quick and we'll jump in. God, I pray that as we go through these 20-minute lessons throughout the year, that you could use it to help us draw others to you. And I pray that as we reflect on these ideas and reflect on the scriptures that we'll be thinking about, that we will draw near to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, the objectives for this course. I've got three basic objectives for the course. One, I want to provide a model for you guys on how you can share your faith with someone using the four worldview topics that we're going to talk about. I have found a lot of success in sharing about Christianity with seniors using this approach, and I'll explain why in this first lesson. Along the way, I also want to talk further about the nature of Scripture and what it is, so that as we are sharing our faith with people, we can more readily open up God's Word and feel more comfortable with the type of literature that it is. So people often have questions about the nature of God, but they also have questions about the nature of the Bible, right? And what the Bible says and, and how to read it. So I want to be able to provide some ideas and a framework for you guys. And then thirdly, I just hope that your faith is strengthened as you're challenged to think about things that seriously, we just don't normally think about some of these things. We just believe it and we have for a long time, but I think there's a lot of value in taking time to think about why do I believe this? And so I, I pray that God by his spirit will, will grow our faith as we go through it. So today, in the, the 15 minutes I got left with you, my goal will be to keep these at 20 minutes each. Today I want to highlight three things. The, the first idea is that we are all religious. The second idea is that every doubt that someone has comes from a leap of faith. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the outcome of those two observations. So again, number one, everybody's religious. Number two, every doubt that, that anyone has comes from a leap of faith. And then number three, I want to talk about the outcome. So as, as we get into thinking about this first point, everybody's religious. 
I would actually like to just have you think about this question. How would you define religion? If you were asked, and maybe you could just pause the, 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 the podcast right now and talk to the person who's in the car with you or sitting right next to you and ask them how they would define religion. And so I think some people would want to think about a belief in a God in some way. Maybe they would think about a, a uh, adherence to some holy book or following some kind of rituals. But the more you think about what the word religion means and entails, the more it actually starts to get a little muddy because there's disagreements between what we feel like are major religions. So, for example, the the topic of God. Uh, Does every major religion have a belief in God? And we would maybe want to say, of course. So, of course, Christianity and Judaism and Islam all have a firm conviction there's one God, right? But Buddhism, it's not really a big deal in Buddhism at all, this idea of of a God. So that starts to kind of get interesting as we think about how to define religion. And, and I've come to see a very helpful way to think about religion is entailed in these four topics that we're going to talk about. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So uh, I'll uh, quote Keller here from his book, Reason for God. He says this, let's begin by asking what religion is. Some say it's a form of belief in God, but that would not fit Zen Buddhism, which does not really believe in God at all. Some say it's a belief in the supernatural, but that doesn't fit with Hinduism, which doesn't really believe in the supernatural realm beyond the material world, but only a spiritual reality within the empirical. What then is religion? Keller says, it is a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, and to me I hear meaning there. Keller says, who we are, And to me, I hear origin and destiny in there. And Keller says the most important things that human beings should spend their time doing. And boy, I I hear morality there. So let me give you an example of how Keller's definition, I think, works really well, even with someone like Richard Dawkins. So Richard Dawkins, maybe you know of him, maybe not. He wrote a book quite a while ago now, called The God Delusion. Uh, Richard Dawkins is a biologist. He is an atheist. And uh, you probably got that from the title of his book. But uh, this is something that Dawkins said a while back. He, I quote, We are machines built by DNA whose purpose is to make more copies of the same DNA. That is exactly what we are for. We are machines for propagating DNA. And the propagation of DNA is a self-sustaining process. It is every living object's sole reason for living. Isn't that amazing? You can actually unpack that quote and you can hear a connection with origin... Where did everything come from? Meaning, what's the purpose of our life? Morality, 
how should we live our lives and destiny, what will happen when we die. And so when we think about these four worldview categories, it's amazing that those four ideas are present within a statement from a guy like Richard Dawkins. Isn't that amazing? So I think that that's really important to recognize that. Uh, let me give you another example of where these four ideas come out. It's uh, in Acts 17 when Paul is talking to the Athenians. So I'll, I'll begin reading in verse 22 for you guys in Acts 17. Paul says, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship to the unknown God. So he, he sees this altar to this God that they don't know the name of, and Paul's intrigued. And so here Paul says in verse 23, What therefore you worship, guys, as unknown? Let me tell you who that is. He says in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. So notice there's an origin claim there. Does not, this God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. Origin, again. Verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. For what purpose? Verse 27 gives us a meaning statement. Paul says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul even quotes their own poets who say, For we are indeed his offspring. Paul goes on, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think. So here's a morality claim, right? We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Here comes a destiny claim, guys. Because, verse 31, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Luke adds a little bit here to their reaction. Verse 32, Now when some heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked. But others said, We will hear you again on this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius of the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Wanted to show you an example in Scripture where origin, meaning, morality, and destiny 
all show up in, in Paul's evangelistic speech in Acts 17. And I find this to be a very helpful model for talking with students, and boy, not just students, but my father-in-law, who is not a believer, and mother-in-law, trying to find ways to ask them, why do you believe the things that you believe about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny? So these are the four topics that we're going to dive into and I think create a religious framework that everybody's got. Everybody has beliefs about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And if you push them long enough, you can really get them to, to explain it. All right, we got five minutes left. I want to wrap up with uh, part two here of our, our discussion. And it's this idea that every doubt that one has comes from a leap of faith they have. And so i got to explain that for you guys. You know, it's interesting. Oftentimes, we Christians bear unnecessarily the burden of thinking that we have all the faith on our side, and you got atheists who have the reason and the logic and the intellect on their side, and that we have to defend uh, our faith and we often feel like uh, maybe we're belittled by the atheist position because they have the intellect and the reason and they think that that's their positions rooted in that. And that's something worth actually challenging. So this, this concept um, of where, where doubts come from is, I think, actually very significant. So... Basically, the idea is this. If you have a doubt in something, it's because you have a belief in something else. Your doubt in position A comes from belief in position B. Okay? No, no one is positionless here. We all have convictions that lead us to doubt certain things and, and believe other things. So let me give you an example. One could say, I doubt atheism is correct. And the reason is because they believe that God exists. Another example could be someone who says, I have serious doubts about Christianity. And it could be because I believe miracles are impossible. Now, what, I, what I'd like to highlight there, and this might sound crazy, and we'll unpack this more later, is that the beliefs in both of those positions can't be proven. Can we actually prove that God exists? And you really got to think about what that word prove means. Proof is, I'm not talking about evidence, I'm talking about proof here, 100%. Can we prove that God exists? The answer, I, I, I think, is no. I don't think we can prove that. We believe God exists. We have great reasons to believe it. The Spirit affirms it in us. But to be able to prove it to someone, I mean, boy, if I could do that, I'd do that on day one in my Bible class. So this is a faith position that we have. 
is that God exists. Now, to be fair, one can't prove he doesn't exist as well, right? And that other faith position, to believe miracles are impossible, can one actually prove that miracles are impossible? I don't think so. That's a faith position one has. So the doubts that one has stem from beliefs or convictions that they hold to. They've, they've, put, they've staked their flag uh, in a certain spot. And so what's the payoff for all of this? What's the payoff in recognizing that everybody's religious and that every doubt that we have comes from our religious convictions. I think the payoff is just recognizing we're all in the same, if you will, football field. Sorry, some of you are still painfully dealing with some football and college being canceled this year, but I'll use the illustration anyway. So I, I call it the football field of faith, that everybody's on the same football field. You have the, the atheists, the agnostics, the deists, the Christian, the, the Buddhist, even the person who says that they don't care. They may be on the sidelines of the football field, but they may not feel like they're actively engaged in the faith game, as it were, but they're still on the field because, and they're in the position they're in off the field because they're believing that their lack of caring won't impact them for eternity. So we all have these doubts. You know, I'm reminded even of the disciples, some of which in uh, Matthew 28. It's fascinating. You should check it out. When Jesus appears to them, and I think it starts in verse 16, it says he appeared to them, but some doubted. Some doubted. Just think about that. Jesus is right in front of them, and some are doubting. Why are they doubting? Because what they're seeing and experiencing doesn't fit with the worldview that they have. Their origin, meaning, morality, destiny, worldview isn't fitting with a resurrected Jesus right in front of them. And so it led to doubts. That's true of the people that we're going to talk to, and it's true for us as well, that we have doubts about things because we have convictions in other things. So, sorry, I'm going a little long here. Let me just wrap it up with this. I think the payoff here is this leads to great humility for us as we recognize that we all have beliefs that we can't prove. But it also leads to an ability to share as we recognize we're all on the same football field of faith. That that we all, the, the Christian and the non-Christian, both believe certain things. And so it kind of levels the playing field. And I think that's one of the really important things that I like to share with my students is we're all on the same football field. I'm not making a claim, don't, don't misunderstand me, that all ideas are equal. No, no, no. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. But I am rec recognizing that we all have a set of beliefs that we hold to. And I think that this actually creates an opportunity for a good conversation with people. When you can actually 
explain some of these ideas to them, that we're all in the same boat here. We're all trying to figure out, with the evidence that we have in front of us, what best makes sense of what we're seeing around us. Uh, C.S. Lewis is famous for his quote, I don't believe in Christianity because I can see Jesus. He says, it's like looking at the sun. I can't look right at the sun, but actually I can see everything else so clearly because of the sun. And that's, that's the goal of what I want to do with you guys, is to work through some ideas about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny that will lead to a good discussion with someone. But we can actually let them know from the, from the, from the get-go that we all have beliefs. We're all religious, in a way. And we all have doubts as well, don't we? Because of those religious convictions that we have. So that's, that's what I wanted to start with, with you guys. And again, remember, if you've got questions or comments, throw them in the stream. And my goal will be to keep these to 20 minutes at a time, just kind of learning my pacing with this. So I went three and a half minutes over. Forgive me. Have a blessed day. Uh, let me pray real quick. God, I pray that you would help us have good conversations with people, that we could be a light to the world, to those around us, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. In Jesus' name, amen.